0: Well, I gave you a week off to recover from the last couple of Sundays dealing with Manasseh, and it hasn't been a pretty story, has it? Uh, we're in Second Chronicles chapter 33, and uh, today we're going back to the story of Manasseh. Now, the title of this series is The Fall and Rise of King Manasseh. And if we've spent all this time in the fall, are you ready for the rise? I am. <laughs> I think this would be better. Maybe even the sun will come out before we're done with uh, this. But uh, this is a. This, this is what's challenging about this passage, is that it's so black and white as to the nature of sin and God's consequence that we read it. I don't know how we could read it without saying that we're looking into a mirror at times and wonder how we are doing in our own walk with the Lord Uh, so there are many applications but uh, what I love is God's mercy if I could give a title to this one and I've been trying to give little titles along the way that would go along with this uh, I'd have to use a mathematical symbol and some of you guys are really good at that like Kelly could help you with anything there but that triangle shape whatever that is that means greater than and i put mercy on the greater side. Greater than, and then leave it blank on the other side, because you could fill that in. Mercy is greater than. That would be my title today. It'd just be the word mercy and that symbol. If you could imagine that. 2 Corinthians 33. Look today with me at verses 10 through verse number 13. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. But they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. And they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved with entreaty, and heard his supplication, brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I like that last phrase, don't you? Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Lord, we have your word open in front of us today in the life of an individual also before us. One that you have worked in many years ago to show to him that you are God. And you haven't changed. Every time we open up this word in front of us, as we go into it to study it, we get the full, full message. You are God. And with that, Lord, we read and we see ourselves, but we also see your mercy. And it's an amazing thing to be able to be called children of God. As John would write, for such we are. It's because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We sang this morning about what he's done for us. Oh, he so willingly came and shed his blood and died for us that we might be changed forever. And that's the kind of work you do. You change lives forever. You've changed ours. And now we come to your word and as we read about these things Lord we can't help but but put ourselves in their sandals and think it through again and again and again, but we're so glad for your mercy. And as we read today Lord, may we become even more appreciative of what you have done to save us. Thank you for being God and for helping us to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an advantage this morning by looking into another person's life. We have the advantage to learn principles from that without having to go through it ourselves. I wonder how Manasseh would have felt if God told him I'm going to write this in a book so everyone could read it back in the year 2018 (laughs) I don't know what you would have thought if somebody says I'm going to write your story down too so people could read it for the rest of uh, the life of this earth I find it interesting that there was a king on that throne that Manasseh sat on Some 300 years before. Who sinned a great sin. Tried to conceal it with murder and lies. And was found out. Who was that man? His name was David. God promised your sins will find you out. That was written in the book of Numbers. Chapter 32. Verse number 23. And in David's life, if we were to study that, we would say, Those were very dark days, David. Very dark days when you sinned like that, then tried to hide it from God. It didn't work. We have in God's word, David's repentance, David's restoration by the mercy of the Lord, we're very familiar with the passage that says it all, and that's Psalm fifty one. In that, David confesses what sin is and what it was like. And as we read through Psalm 51, and maybe you have uh, many times before, but I encourage you to turn over there. It's not far from where you are right now. Second Corinthians, just, or Colossians, no Colossians, not Second Colossus. Second Chronicles, you just start turning a little bit further down, you'll find the book of Psalms chapter number 51 this is David's psalm I want to show you something because I'm sure that David would not have wanted his story written down in black and white either but God chose to do that and David starts to write here in Psalm 51 and he says be gracious to me O God According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what was evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you have made known. You make me known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and restore a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me, to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a, broken, or a willing spirit. Now don't close your Bible. Hold it right there. David is expressing something in these words that I think we all know. Sin destroys it always does it always will sin destroys a man it tears into his heart it, it chews up his conscience it ravishes his mind it, it alters his viewpoint it diverts his attention it, it drives him to more it buries him with guilt. It plunders his joy. It imprisons his memory. It compromises his health. It alienates him from fellowship. It ruins his relationships. It destroys his testimony. It deprives him of hope. And it pushes him from God. There is nothing good about sin. Nothing. Never will be. Yeah, here is the problem. Sin has a deceptive quality to it. Probably because Satan himself is quite a deceiver. Sin will make a man think that he has the best of everything. Sin will make a man think that there is joy in doing anything his heart desires. The Bible uses very powerful terms to identify the sinner. Among them are these words. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Love the darkness rather than the light. That's in John chapter 3, verse 19. Their whole life is infested with sin as it's described even way back in... Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I don't know what your opinion is of the doctrine of total depravity. Some people say I can I could live without that one. There's some people say I don't think that's true. They they go through a lot of opinions about that. But I read in the pages of scripture that I don't have any problems with believing that man is totally depraved. Nor do I have trouble with that when I read the newspaper for that matter. Perhaps the perhaps the most challenging part of that whole doctrine is it's not its definition. It's not even in its description. It's in the deception that sin brings. The deception is that I think I'm a better than what God says. <laughs> I'm doing better. Matter of fact, I'm having a great time. Sin will always deceive. And it's good at that. Jeremiah seventeen nine. You might know this verse, might have memorized it somewhere along the way. It says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick I said wow but well, here's what strikes me the most of that it's more deceitful than anything else the heart of man is just part of a man it takes all the parts of man it takes his mind It takes its conscience, it takes the motives, it takes the plans, it takes the will, it takes the actions, you take beliefs, you put place them all beside the heart, and the heart wins the contest every time, hands down. It is more deceitful than anything else. The Septuagint version, the Old Testament in the Greek translation, puts an adjective with the heart, and I think it's very interesting. Because it's the word bathous, You say, well, that doesn't mean a thing to me. I didn't think it would. It means deep. It means deep. It speaks of something that's going down deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's the way the Septuagint describes the heart. In being deceived, or the heart is more deceitful, it is going deeper and deeper and deeper deeper into that deception. I think, wow, what an interesting picture that is. That's the funny thing about sin. Because just the time you think you're excelling, you're actually not advancing at all. You're not on top of the world, as some people think. It's plunging you down and deeper and deeper and deeper. You have no idea which way you're heading. They say that those who are Underwater get this this deception about them, where they don't know which way is up, and it's very likely you could be swimming deeper down when you think you're going higher, because you've lost your perspective. I felt that way last week in Fort Worth, Texas. We, we, we were given directions to go to this, the meet at Tyndale Theological. Center. I've been there at Tyndale before. I knew where the road was, I knew what the building looked like and everything, and I'm going down the street, and I said, oh, it's right over there, and I said, that's Pamela, it's right over there, it's okay, we'll run to the hotel, or we'll change, or we'll come back, right, we gave ourselves two hour leeway, right, and we're going through town, and I'm saying, this doesn't look right, and she says, well, the GPS says, and I said, well, it can't be right. And so I'm I'm saying, it's just, no, it's down here further. And we kept going and going and going. We stopped at a gas station. I asked the guy where this certain street was, and he had no idea. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. So I, I called my friend Patrick, and I said, Patrick, this is where we are. He says, really? He says, you're heading way south. And it was true. The sun wasn't out. I had no sense of which way we were going up and down the road. And I thought I was on the right way. And I was heading further and further and further away from where we had to be. You know, I made it to that conference with two or three minutes to spare. Just like, there goes the hours. But that's what sin is like. You think you're going one way, but you're actually going the other. At full pace. Because sin is like that. It's deceptive, and it drives us deeper and deeper and deeper as it goes. That's the interesting thing about this. You have no idea where you're heading. Now, I asked you not to close your Bibles, because I want you to go back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I want to read to you the rest of the psalm. I stopped intentionally where I did, because that's what he had wrestled with. That's what he came to understand the depth of his sin, and what it looked like in front of a holy God. But there was more to it than that. Because right where I stopped here, verse number 12, you start to see the person who has received mercy is now the teacher. That's the interesting thing about mercy. It turns you into a teacher. The man who burns his hand on the stove becomes a spokesman for kitchen safety. (laughs) David went down that deep path. But through mercy the Lord restored him and suddenly David has a new employment. A teacher. Now, we say that Oklahoma needs more teachers. Our world needs more teachers. Those who know God's mercy. And are willing to say so. This is the kind of teacher who's experienced the mercy of God and is willing to open their mouth and share it with the next generation. You ready for the words? I just set you up for it. Look at verse 13. Then, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then, then, My tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. I took you on a long journey this morning, all the way around, to tell you about a king who sat on that same throne 300 years later. Who sinned a great sin. Tried to conceal it, perhaps, but was found out. He was very much like a David in some regards. He understood the depths of sin, and then he got to know the beauty of mercy. The beauty of mercy, and this king couldn't wait to tell others as well. Go back to Manasseh's life here in Second Chronicles. Sorry, Second Chronicles chapter thirty-three. The passage we have before us in the verses I just read. Do you think now that Manasseh would mind that you're reading his story? I don't think he liked all the things that were embarrassing that we read previous to this. But I don't think he minds that you understand he was uh, an object of God's mercy. I don't think he minds that you would learn how God was gracious to him. Years ago... Corey Chen Boom experienced some of the worst things a person could have known here on this earth. Most of us know her story. Yet there was a principle she learned, and the principle she said in regard to her own environment, but I think can be somewhat carried into our thoughts here today, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. these words came to my mind as I was reading these verses verse 10 through 13 in 2nd Chronicles it says the Lord spoke to Manasseh in verse number 10 spoke to his people we've talked about that before the prophets were faithful in declaring it God was faithful in declaring it it's been told for hundreds of years what God expected of his people and it says they paid no attention and it says in verse 11, therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. Assyria was the main power in that day and age. Assyria, through their power, destroyed the northern kingdom. And here's little country Judah down at the bottom. And Assyria had no hesitation. As a matter of fact, God gave them the green light. Go into Judah. According to Hezekiah's day, it was described that Assyria came up to their neck. <laughs> you could picture, you know, floodwaters. We talk about that in the news all the time. But it was like that, Assyria to Judah. They just came in and they filled you all the way up to the neck. Well, they grabbed a hold of Manasseh and said, let's go. Put him in chains. They believed there was a ring in his nose. And he was led all the way to Babylon, put into prison. That's what we see in verse number 11. They captured him with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, took him to Babylon. Now here's where it gets very, very interesting in verse 12. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers when he prayed to him. All those years of sin came crushing down upon him. Deeper and deeper and deeper he went. And to the day, all he could do was look up. Manasseh had dug a deep pit. But there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Another great quote Corey Tamboo wrote. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Let me just say what we see. And what's been man's response over the years to great sinners who repent. Because Manasseh's going to repent here. Manasseh has destroyed His people with sin. It says He deceived them. He killed children. Imagine the heartbreak of mothers out there. He set up idols all over the land. He desecrated the temple with idols. So that the one who truly... And purely wanted to worship the Lord. Couldn't even enter into the place where God had said, I will meet with you. Because this man had polluted every single thing he touched. If your business was as a good godly priest, you were out of business in Manasseh's day. Your livelihood was ruined because of Manasseh. If you had crops, you probably lost. Because of Manasseh and his his economics. If you ran any kind of business, you probably felt the weight of sin, one way or the other. Most people who get ruined in their businesses because of somebody else have a sense of bitterness in their heart. It's hard not to. If your family's been torn up because of a person, you have something inside of you that's really hard to swallow... Manasseh left destruction everywhere he went because of the depth of his sin. There was a nation who felt the full impact of what this guy had done. And then he repents. (laughs) And he's restored to his place by God. When somebody in our day and age who has done some absolutely terrible crimes to people, get sent off to prison, there seems to be a sense of relief, a sense of he got what he's got coming to him, and all those kind of things. And then when you hear he's up for parole, or when you hear he's had a change of heart while he's in prison, and he's now a believer. Haven't we seen that over the years? And hasn't there been a funny reaction to that from our world? I think it's rather interesting. First of all, they don't believe it. (laughs) Him saved? No, impossible. Can't happen. People like that don't get saved. They said that once of a man named Saul. You know who he became? The Apostle Paul. When the disciples heard that Saul was saved, they said, no way. That's my paraphrase. Impossible! This man persecuted the church. He stood there while Stephen was stoned that day. He went about arresting people. We're scared of him. No, we're not going to believe it. We don't trust (laughs) it. It's a part of a scheme. He just wants to get on the inside so he can reveal who we are and have us all put to death. I don't believe it. And that's how most people respond when they hear that somebody so so terrible has come to know the Lord. They assume that there's some sort of a ploy here. Matter of fact, they sense that. Well, he's only saved because he wants to save his skin. He wants to use that somehow in some. Parole court or something like that. He just wants to to do anything to get out of the consequences of sin. And if repenting removes the consequences, then the world's going to see that's a scheme. You're just saying it because you want people to look favorably upon you. And we judge them. We're very quick to assume that. That this isn't real. It's just words in order to get on the good side of the judge. Sometimes we get angry We live by the principle, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, don't we? You say, well, that's the way it should be. You've spent your whole life destroying other people's lives. You've wrecked them. you destroyed careers. You broke up families. You robbed parents of children. You had husbands torn from their wives. You had wives torn from their husbands. And they say, where is the justice when you repented? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair that God should save the likes of you. You've heard these words before. In hypocrisy, the world becomes a prosecutor. The world becomes a judge. The world becomes the condemner. The world becomes the executioner. They say that the world is better off without people like this and they want to eliminate them for their crimes. Uh, We prefer mercy for ourselves. They're reluctant to give it to somebody else. I am very glad that we're not in charge of the mercy department. God is. God is. Moses once tried that too. He knew how bad off the people of Israel were. And he stood before God he says, God, I'll tell you what, they're terrible. I know you want to blot them out. But if you're going to blot them out, just blot me out. God says, (laughs) I'm in charge of this department, Moses. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Stopped him right there. Because we don't dictate to God mercy. God gives it to us. And sometimes we stand up and we look at him and ask and say, that's not fair. That's not fair. That he should go through all this and do all this and sit in a prison and be in distress and we say that's good. But he prayed, folks. He prayed and guess what? God heard him. <laughs> said, "Well, God, why'd you do that? Why did you listen to his prayer? Why did you extend mercy to him? Why did you why were you moved by this man?" Because it says right there in verse 13, when he prayed to him, God was moved. God heard. He was moved by his entreaty, and he heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. we may not walk down the dark paths of sin like that in comparison but it sure serves us well to see light on the other side as we've walked through this have you ever thought what God thinks tried to concerning sin what does what's God's opinion he hates it concerning judgment He does it. Concerning mercy, He has it. For He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that what He said? He sees the sinner in the deepest of pits. He sees the deception of their heart. He sees the direction of their path and he knows that road leads to destruction. He knows it. He wrote it in the book, didn't he? And yet those are the people he seeks to save. Don't mistake something here when you're reading these words in verse 13. There's a miracle happening. It's a miracle, folks, because Unless the Lord moves, there is no rescue. That's the reality. Unless the Lord does something here, nothing will happen that will change the course of a man like Manasseh and where he was heading. We're not that much different when we consider the nature of sin. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. We all walked in that way, it says, in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were all there. But I love the fact that God doesn't leave us there. As a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, after it says all that, in verse number 4 says, But God, He is moved with compassion, being rich in mercy, it says, because of His great love in which He loved us, even while we were still dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. And He raised us up with Him. And He seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Manasseh was only given back his throne. Folks, you've been given a seat in heaven. That's God's mercy for the likes of us. Why did He do such things? It says that, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You will forever be a testimony of what God's mercy can do. You will forever be a testimony of that. Say that 150 years from now when we're all just hanging around in heaven doing what we do. Some angel or somebody else walks up and says, you know, I'm really trying to understand this mercy thing. What does that look like? God will point to one of us and say, that's what mercy can do. (laughs) That's what mercy can do. We are forever a sign of the riches of His grace. That's what it says. That's why He's brought us up. He says, I want forever. I want forever A show of what my mercy can do. (laughs) We're the little trophies on the shelf. (laughs) We're the little exhibits that God's going to set before all of eternity for any eye to look upon and say, how kind is your God? I find it interesting, this point. When I'm studying the life of Manasseh, He's recorded in two passages, and we've been spending our time in Corinth Chronicles. I'll get it right. Yeah, Chronicles on purpose. His life is also given to us in Second Kings, and in Second Kings chapter twenty-one, it goes through the same story. It goes through the depth of his sin and all the terrible things he did, and then it adds a paragraph. A paragraph at the end of all these things and it says this 2nd Kings 21 verse 10 through verse 13 Now through verse 17 Now the Lord spoke through his servants the prophets saying because Manasseh king of Judah has done these abominations having done wickedly more than all the Amorites who were before him and he also made Judah sin with his idols therefore thus says the Lord the God of Israel Behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that those who hear it will have their ears tingle. I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them to the hand of their enemies, and they will become plunder and spoil to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight, and have been provoking me to anger since the day their fathers came from Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin, which he had made Judah sin, in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sins which he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? You say, oh, if that was our only story today of Manasseh, would you be impressed? Would you step back and say, wow, mercy of the Lord. Because 2 Kings doesn't show you any of that, does it? It shows you judgment. It shows you condemnation. I think there's a reason for that. I think the reason is, if my hunch is, 2 Kings was written by Jeremiah the prophet. That's my hunch. There's some evidence for that. Another story, another time. But assuming that to be true, we don't find Manasseh's spiritual change in this writing of 2 Kings. The purpose of the prophet in that day, writing just before the fall of Judah, they warned them, they warned them, they warned them, That punishment was knocking at the door, and the people would not hear. Even the Chronicle writer told us that. They would not hear. The prophet knew that this would be a powerful example for the people to read terrible consequences because of sin. He may have known about Manasseh's revival, but God told him, don't put it in this book. I have a purpose to show them the depths of their sin and the reasons for their punishment. But many years later, when Ezra was prophet, God says, Ezra, I'm going to have you write the story of Manasseh. I know it's in Kings, but there's something I want you to add. And I want these people to see it now. Because these people have just been through the whole story. They have been through the consequence of Manasseh's sin. They have been removed from their land. They have known what it's like to be in slavery, in prison, just like a Manasseh. They've been down that road and they know the bitterness and the depths of it. He says, this time when you write the story of Manasseh, I'm going to have you include this spiritual commentary on that history. I'm going to want you to show them that even though these people were very wicked, God's mercy is deeper still. And I'm going to have you put it in the book called Chronicles. I want them, as I restore the people in Ezra's day, to understand that it's by mercy that I do this. That's the way I operate. It's interesting that it's only in this book that God records the repentance of Manasseh. You know what's interesting too? It is in this same book, just a handful of chapters earlier, that God said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, what? I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. God was keeping his word, wasn't he? God was keeping his word. This is not the story so much of Manasseh, folks. It's a story of God. This is what God is like. Sometimes he said, this person can't be redeemed. This person's too far gone. This person's so sin-saturated, there's no hope. There's no way. We wouldn't believe it if they walked in this room today and said that they were just called to the ministry. Say No, impossible! Never put impossible next to God's mercy. Never think somebody's too far outside of his hand to move and reach. That's our story of Manasseh. You see? He's proved positive that God keeps his promise. He keeps his promise. Because here's the thing. God still listens to prayer. He still listens to prayer. And there are two things I want you to remember about sin. I make it simple. God sees. And God saves. If I wanted to make it simple, there it is. God sees. And God saves. Maybe you came here today in a very deep pit I don't know your heart and I don't know what you you occupy your time with I've been trying to express to you that the mercy of the Lord is deeper still when I say as scripture says so often that we are to turn to the Lord maybe you've never acknowledged your need of him before maybe you've never thought you've needed him before But no matter if you thought that or not, your need is still the same. You see, God says in Scripture that the wages of sin is death. there's no exception to anybody. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I'm very glad that he never finished that verse with a period. He says, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord if you have never accepted Christ as Savior you're not outside of his reach even today his mercy is there call upon his name and he will save you that's a promise and God always keeps his promises I'm proof that he saves somebody many of you are proof that he saves people (laughs) aren't you glad he does Now, for some, maybe today you're here in that deep pit, but you're a believer. And you know you don't belong there. And all this is true, but sin has deceived your heart. You're now deep into the things that do not honor the Lord. You're wrecking your life. I'll say it straight. You are wrecking your life by staying in those sins. You continue down a road. A road that does destroy. Sin never does good. Never. But folks, there's a remedy. Even the believer. Even the believer. We have a Savior, don't we? We have a Savior. You trusted him for your eternal life. Can't you trust Him for today too? Can't you trust Him for tomorrow too? Can't you take him, that habit, that problem, that sin, that thing that, you know, is not honoring to him. Can't you lay it at his feet? He died for that. Didn't he? Can't you trust him? Can't you realize that you're not in a pit too deep for him? Calling a believer to repent is not out of place. Not out of place at all is the fact that we're, sometimes we're not in the place we should be. But here's the thing. God sees. God saves. There is no creature hidden from his sight, Hebrews says. No creature hidden from his sight. For all things are open, and all things are laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Is there sin to be dealt with? You only know your heart and even then it's trying to trick you. There's something that needs to be dealt with today. Something you realize. Something that when you sit next to the fact that Christ is all you need because Christ is all you have. Are you ready to talk to him about it? You've been in distress a long time. If that's your case, I know it. Because it's eating you up. Sin always does. Take it to the one who hears. And he's moved with compassion. And he reaches out in mercy. And he'll change everything. I know he will. Because he's a God who forgives. And restores. Do you believe that? That's the God we're going to talk to right now. Let's talk to Him. Heavenly Father, You are so amazing that You should love us. That You should love us even when You see us for who we are. That You should give Your Son for us even while we were yet sinners and enemies of Yours. That You should love us and want to call us Your children. And to prepare a place for us that we might live with you forever and ever. That is an amazing thing. Your grace and your mercy are just phenomenal. But I'm glad it's true. I'm glad it's there before us. Because we need that. Some may need that for the first time today. Some may be here right now who need Jesus Christ as their Savior. And right now you're pulling them, pulling them toward yourself helping them to see their need of Christ. And right now they can be forgiven. Right now they can be made whole. Right now they can be a new creature in Christ if they were turned to Him by faith. And Lord, You know how to change a heart. And I praise that, that if there's somebody here today who needs that done, do it, please. For Your honor and glory to show Your power to save and give us cause to rejoice again. And Lord, if there's somebody here today who, though they're a believer, they've been struggling with something and it's mostly of their own doing. It's their habits, their practice, whatever it is. And Lord, you see that. I don't need to see it, but you do. And you see what the needs are. And they've been carrying it around for some time. And it's tearing things up. Lord, you know how to bring that heart to yourself too. For scripture says, if we confess our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only you can do that, Lord. And if there's somebody here today who desperately needs that in their life, do your work, Lord, we pray, that another reason to give you praise might come before us, that we could rejoice in the mercy of our God once more. I think all of us would come to that place today anyway. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for saving the likes of us. We rejoice in that and praise you for changing lives and changing ours. We pray this in our Savior's name because it wouldn't have happened without Him. We thank you, Lord, for dying for us. For undergoing all that And much more than we'll ever understand, perhaps. But you did it because you loved us and wanted to see us saved. Thank you for doing that. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.